Welcome to Financial Gravity with John Pollock. For the next half hour, John lends his years of experience to guide you towards lower taxes, higher profit, and greater wealth. Now, your host, John Pollock. Hi, this is John Pollock. This is a Financial Gravity radio show, and I've got a good friend on the phone. His name is Michael Port, and he is rich and famous. You might be the richest and most famous person I have on the, have had on the show. <laughs> Fantastic. That's <laughs> yes. great. Thanks so much. Yeah, so Michael has a bunch of bestsellers. The two I want to spend some a little bit of time on today is the newest one, which is Steal the Show, and which is how I got introduced to you. I actually I came kind of backwards. A lot of people start with Book Yourself Solid and then find out about Steal the Show. But I found out about Steal the Show uh, conference and then – went back and read Book Yourself Solid and said, wow, this how, how have I not seen this book? This is one of the best books on marketing and growing a business. And it was everything that I have already learned over the last 15 years all in one book. So I was a little peeved at the, <laughs> on one side that I could have just read this book and prevented a lot of work. But So I want to talk to Michael about this, and he's exceptionally talented. So with that, I would like to talk – Normally, I start with having you do an elevator pitch, but I'd like you to talk about both of these kind of works, how you got to both of them, and you know why people should pick them up. Sure. Well, Book Yourself Solid came out in 2006, and I started designing the system in 2003, and it really was just a very practical way to book more business from a systemic perspective. I think that, you know, marketing is something that people look at as a whole bunch of tactics you do to get clients. But I don't think that marketing actually books you business. I think it creates awareness for who you are and what you have to offer. But it's what you do once somebody becomes aware of you that actually books you the business. And that process uh, can take some time. And I think that if you design that process in a way that is very strategic and repeatable, then you can book business again and again and again just by simply going out and executing on a few of the core self-promotion strategies so that people come and check you out. Once they do, uh, if they feel you've got a solid foundation, uh, then they'll give you an opportunity to earn their trust. And if you have a plan for earning their trust, you'll be able to earn that trust over time. You'll make sales offers that are proportionate to the amount of trust that you've earned. They'll raise their hand and say, hey, listen, I'd like to have a sales conversation with you. And you say, fantastic. And if your prices are right in the sweet spot of that buyer's desire and you know how to have a simple sales conversation, then you can book the business. You can do it again and again and again and again. And that's what I focused on really for over a decade. And we have about 250 coaches, certified Book Yourself Solid coaches out all over the world. And we are really just a group of people that feel that integrity and, and service is the most important aspect of our work. And we try to help people get booked solid if uh, they are uh, so inclined. Then, so one, yeah. So one of the things I think is really interesting about this is that a lot of people think marketing is really art. You know, it's like, oh, you got to pick the right colors and the right messaging. And you've kind of flipped it. And you kind of said, no, there's art there. But if you create the systems and you focus more on the science, that'll build the trust, which is also kind of art. How do you build trust? But you're saying you can build trust over time with the science. And I think 
this is actually kind of a good segue too. I think what you've done, you've done that to marketing, and then you took your kind of your art into science mind and converted that to speaking too, which everyone thinks is art, but you've kind of created some science to that as well. Yeah, so public speaking is something that many people feel is beyond their reach. They feel that if they go out and present themselves in front of other people, then they're going to get rejected. And nobody wants to get rejected. I certainly don't want to be rejected. You probably don't care as much as the average person if you get rejected. You know, you have a little (laughs) thicker skin than most. But, you know, it is very understandable to be anxious in front of other people when presenting your ideas and, you know, making your pitch for something you believe in. So it's anxiety provoking. And often it seems like it's beyond your reach because you look at somebody who does it well and you think, well, they're just naturally good at it. They're just a genius and they either have it or they don't have it. And I do think that it's if you're not someone who is incredibly talented as a speaker, it's unlikely you'll ever get as good as Martin Luther King. I'll never be as good as Martin Luther King. But each one of us has something special to offer, something unique to offer based on the way we see the world. And each one of us can develop our own style based on who we are so that we amplify the best parts of our personality. And each time we're in a public speaking situation, we're going to play a different role. And if we understand how to design those roles and play the right role in any given situation, generally we can steal the show when the spotlight is on because if you can't sh- if you can't you know if you can't stand up and perform when the spotlight's on you then you know it's hard to live a big life if you're constantly running away from the spotlight uh, you know you live a small life but if you feel that you know when all eyes are on you you know how to handle yourself out there then you do a great job so it is there's a balance to to bo- both of these bodies of work that there is a side that is a is a creative art on both the marketing side and both and the public speaking side and there is a very practical approach to both of them from the marketing side and from the public speaking side so there's craft and then there is art and art is generally something that is produced through creativity and creativity can be learned skills craft can absolutely be learned. So you can take somebody with just a little bit of talent, not much, and t- and teach them to be a craftsman and they will do a great job. You can te- you can take somebody who has extraordinary amount of talent but no craft and they probably won't be as effective because what is our what's our goal whether it's marketing or public speaking is to be effective. That's what we're trying to do, not be good. I had a client call me up once. She was very 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 anxious because she got an interview on one of the morning news shows, you know, Good Morning America. And she'd been trying to get this interview for a long, long time for a book that she had written. So she was fighting for it. And then she finally gets it. And she, and she panicked. Of course. She's like, I can't do it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> so, so she said, Michael, what can, what can I do? I want to be good. What can I do to be good? And I, for dramatic effect, paused for a very long time. And I said, well, you can't be good longer pause and she said what what are you saying michael is this an insult <laughs> yeah i said no nobody can be good you can't go into that kind of situation trying to be good because that's about you 
and what you want from an approval perspective. But if you go into that interview simply trying to be helpful and you're well prepared, then the audience will perceive you as good because you added some value to their life. Now, this might seem simple. If you think about it intellectually, you go, well, that's actually quite simple. But it's not how we naturally approach many of these situations. Because of our need for approval, we often approach those kinds of performance situations from the perspective of, how can I be good? What can I do to be good? I want people to say, that was really good. But if you approach it from the results perspective, what results do I want to produce? And what tactics will I use to produce those results? And if our focus is on that big objective, what are we trying to produce? Then we can make choices that will help us produce that result. Because the way that people determine who you are is by the choices you make. Because, you know, you can tell the world whatever you want about yourself. But the things that you do, the way that you behave, well, that's really going to be the the ultimate reveal of who you are. And, you know, that sometimes makes people a little bit nervous. Do you think that we, because we're, we're self-analyzing, that we think that the world doesn't see us as smart because we're analyzing against all the knowledge that we should have in any particular discipline, and we miss that one thing when the world doesn't have all the knowledge we have in that discipline. So there's this disconnect between what I think the world thinks of me versus what the world is actually thinking of me. Does that make sense? It sure does. I think you touched on something quite important, is that sometimes when we put ourselves in a teaching position or public speaking position, we, we, want to do, we want to be seen as smart. We want people to think that we are so knowledgeable, that we are so good at what we do, that we often overwhelm them with much too much information. Because we know so much that we have so much to share that we want to share as much as we can. But the problem is, Most of the people that are listening to what you have to say have such such limited knowledge around your area of expertise that it can be overwhelming to them. I had a conversation with somebody recently about a a, a financial product. He was trying to pitch me on a financial product. And, you know, I knew a little bit about that kind of product going in, but it was a whole life policy. And for me, I... You know, I don't like mixing uh, insurance and investments. I think there's a, for me personally, that's not something that I need to do. And so he was, in, he was pitching me the product and he's a, he's a good friend. So I really wanted to listen to him because he's also a smart guy. But the way that he was introducing it, and this is public speaking when he's introducing it, he's pitching it to me, was so overwhelming. It was so fast and ultimately jumbled because he knew it so well that he didn't need to pause because he didn't need to consume what he was sharing. But he wasn't listening well enough to recognize that I needed to consume it. 
So ultimately, it wasn't helpful to me, and he didn't achieve his objective of selling the product. And it wasn't helpful to me because I couldn't really get the information that I needed from him because he wasn't able to hear what I needed because he didn't give me the room to consume it. So uh, I, I told you this once, you know, a lot of often people, people who speak quickly are told to slow down. Like people right. have probably been telling you your whole life, you know, right. John, slow down, slow down. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, I can't, this is how I talk. This is impossible. I cannot slow down. What, but what they're, what they're really asking for, they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not, their advice to you is not necessarily helpful. It's what, not a pacing advice usually. No, no. It's what they're asking is say, John, could you pause more so I can consume what you're saying? Because it's in the pause that people process what you say. Look, the fact of the matter is people don't really like listening to somebody who speaks slowly. For example, John, I was thinking that... <laughs> yes, my head's about ready to explode. I, yeah, I said six words and you want to strangle me. <laughs> right. So pace, you know, people want that kind of clip pace. It's fun, it's fast. But when you deliver something that somebody needs to process, they need the time for processing. And if we don't give them the time, they can't process. And as a result, they, they can't consume it. And then they either don't understand it or they don't believe you because if you've got to go so quickly through it, then with no pauses at all, they go, well, it, it, he must not want me to understand it. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of assumptions that people make based on your communication style that may or may not be true. So, we want to choose a communication style that is effective. And that's, that's, the, that's what we're always looking for. Results, not approval. Yeah. And that, that is huge. So, so you have a master's degree. It's not acting. It's in yeah, yeah. no, it's I, have acting. A, I have a master's degree in acting. Yeah. Okay. So it is, it is acting. So, so one of the things, so I, I've known Michael for a while now. We spent a lot of time together. Uh, I have gone through his master class. Um, I still talk fast, although when I'm publicly speaking, I, I became, I don't think, I think one of the things that you've taught me the most is self-awareness. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I did a, we're trying to, we're still raising capital as we, we grow the company. And as I'm talking to this, this large firm that gives out capital, I realized as I was talking to him that I wasn't making any sense and I was giving him too much information. I don't think I would have had that awareness a, a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh, in fact, I even I backed away and said, you know what, can I schedule something at another time where I can gather my thoughts and, and make it more consistent? And the guy was really stunned that I would even bother to do that. You know, I'd already spent a half an hour on the phone with him. And that's something that came as a direct result as, of your skills – and the the wacky exercises you made us do. <laughs> I don't want to steal your thunder on that because it's the yeah. stuff you do in the master classes is is, uh, is very interesting to say the least. But it, first of all, you've I formed bonds that I'm sure I'll have for years to come. Yeah. I still talk to a lot of people, and it's been a couple of years now um, in my master class. In fact, I'm having Anne on in a couple of weeks. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so... Well, you touched on something that's really important, John, is awareness. Yeah. Awareness. Yeah. So, we tend to like people who are self-aware because they are able to operate 
in groups of people or with other individuals in such a way that their behavior reflects what the other person or other people need. They're able socially to key into what other people need in any given moment. And that is really important. I mean, some people might call it social intelligence. Uh, you, could, you know, think about it as self-awareness. But the ability to manage your behavior so that it fits effectively into the environment and the people that you're with is a great skill. And so one of the, I learned how to do this well through my training as an actor. I went to the Tisch School of the Arts, the, what's called the Graduate Acting Program. And it's a three-year master's program in acting. And one of the things that you learn to do is to listen very well as an actor. Great actors, people think of them as performers. And of course they are, but what they are remarkable at doing is listening. Because in order to be affected by other people, we need to listen to them. So if an actor is not listening to another actor, uh, say on the stage or in, uh, in a film, they are often disconnected from that other actor. And for the audience, the scene doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem honest, authentic. And then, of course, you have to produce whatever emotions uh, that character is supposed to have rather than them organically coming to you based on, you know, uh, absorbing what's coming at you. Now, I'm not, I don't teach people to be actors at all, but these techniques can apply to all aspects of our life. Getting better at listening is sometimes confronting to people because two things. One, A, you have to care what other people have to say. That's first. That's not, it's not always um, at the top of, uh, of our minds. Oh, anybody's list, yeah. yeah. People are pretty self-centered. Yeah, and you know, I get that. I'm, I'm that way too sometimes. So that's, that's first. The second thing is that if we really listen to people, they can affect us, which, and you know, uh, bear with me here. Go, go, not bear with me, but uh, go stay with me and go out on a limb for a second. If we really listen to people and allow them to affect us, it might be a little scary because we feel like we're giving up control of our feelings. We're giving up control of our ability to control ourselves, but you're not. It's this balance uh, between allowing people in and adjusting ourselves uh, to fit what they need and also uh, choosing to be who we want to be in any given situation. It's a balance between those two things. It's not the easiest thing to talk about. It's much easier to experience it through exercise, through play, uh, by actually trying to respond differently to people by listening to them uh, in the same room in the moment. Yeah, and I'll even point out that one of the skills that you really spend a lot of time on is not listening with your ears. That's right. Which, which is when you think of listening, it's it's what are you saying, and am I hearing what you're saying? You get you you train me. I'm sure others would agree with me. Is to listen because there's a couple of exercises where we weren't allowed to talk. Yeah. And another thing that I learned, and I remember this is in the circle. I don't know what it's called, the circle exercise. But I'm so good at anticipation. I think it's it's part of my business acumen. I don't know if I learned it or it's just 
something that's developed, but I'm so good at anticipating. That's actually not a good skill for an actor. No. Because the actor really needs to be in the moment, which is very important skill for speaking um, as well as marketing. You, you, you can't anticipate six steps ahead because if one step changes, That's right. the sixth step is completely changed. And that was, a, that was a revelation and something that I think has made me a better speaker, better interviewer, better hopefully a better husband. But it, I think it's it's really permeated a lot of my life that that listening not with your ears. Yeah. So of course we need to hear what's being said, right. and then respond accordingly. But we also listen to other people's body language, and you know sometimes you you know you can read books about body language where they say, well, if someone tilts their head this way, that means this, or if someone crosses their arms this way, that means that. It can be a little bit of a stretch. Do you know, right. it's a, can be a little bit uh, uh, on the surface. And, and, and yet, we still want to try to absorb somebody's physicality, how they're moving in the world, how they're uh, interacting with us, and then, of course, how we interact with them physically. But what you mentioned about anticipation is, is really key, and I think that's something we should address because smart people tend to be good at anticipating because their brain works quickly. And if they have a lot of experience, they often know, okay, well, I know this is going to happen next and then we're going to go over here and then this is going to happen over there. But what often happens is the, the person who you're interacting with feels like they're trying to keep up with you. And then they don't feel good in that conversation. So oh, that's happened? interesting. Yeah, that's so, very interesting. Well, you create a disconnect. It's like what I mentioned, um, you know, with respect to the conversation I had about that financial product. I had to work to keep up. And I'm, you know, I'm relatively sharp. You know, it's not my first conversation about a financial product like that. So right. uh, I, if I felt like I had to keep up, then I felt like, oh, he doesn't really care about my thoughts on this or my perspective, he's just giving me his. I'll give you another really, really straightforward example of this. So I was buying a car last summer and I went to the uh, GMC Cadillac dealer and I met the salesman and the salesman was about 6'4". I'm 5'10". 5'10 and a half on a really good day, but 5'10 probably. <laughs> With he, heels. Yeah, right. So he's <laughs> he's 6'4", and when he's walking me around the lot to show me cars, he's about five steps ahead of me. His stride is so long that I had to hustle to keep up with him. And often I, I didn't want to run to keep up with him, so I would just end up behind him. And once he found out, you know, what I did for a living, he said, oh, is there anything I can do to improve, you know? I said, well, what about this walking thing? Do you realize that when you walk with me, you're actually ahead of me and I'm trying to keep up with you? He's like, yeah, people tell me I walk fast all the time. I said, well, have you ever thought about how it might make people feel, especially a customer who you've just met and you're trying to build rapport with? You're ahead of me, which means you seem like you're uh, just trying to get there and get it done and not interested in me or what's important to me. And of course, what's important to me as the customer is the pace that I want 
to walk at. You know, I don't want to walk at your pace. I want to walk at my pace. And if I'm the buyer, then I should get to do that. You know, that's, that's the way the buyer is going to think. And even if they, look, I can, I can articulate these things because I do this for a living. So I can, right. I can observe it. I can articulate it uh, and then illustrate it. But most people, um, they may not be able to understand exactly why they don't make a connection to this guy, why they feel like he's not really with them. But in that particular example, he's not with them, actually. Literally, he's ahead of them. And so they're just trying to keep up. Now, if you're having a sales conversation, let's say, you know, let's say it's about financial products. Well, most people are not savvy when it comes to financial products. And they often feel uncomfortable talking about them because, you know, it's a sensitive subject for a lot of people. Even people who make a lot of money and do very well, they may not be savvy when it comes to understanding finance. And if, if you're five, six, seven steps ahead of them, or even one step ahead of them, uh, they may disconnect from you and feel like, I this, you know, this, this guy or this woman, she's not, she's not, she's not with me. I mean, she's like talking about her thing, but I don't really get it. And I was asking about this, but now she's over there. And uh, then it, then inadvertently it could feel like the person who's selling the product is avoiding talking about the things that, you know, the, uh, the potential buyer wants to talk about, but they're not, they're just anticipating, but they're too far ahead. And that's the problem. Yeah. And there's really no good that comes from this. So, I mean, they, they all, they'll feel disconnected. They'll think, well, you're really smart because you're ahead of me. So you must be really smart, but you know, I don't get it. So I'm not going to buy it if I don't get it. And there's, there's, there's nothing that good that comes from that guy walking ahead or from me talking ahead. So the awareness to slow down when you have this, you know, thing that may may be good in some situations, it may not be good in every situation. So and one thing that's that Michael's really good at is that he's good at kind of crafting around you. Um, the illustration I've used with people is it's it's if you're fat or skinny, you don't wear the same set of clothes. But you can look good regardless of your body type. Mm -hmm. And that it makes sense to someone that understands fashion. But for someone that, well, I'm not a good public speaker. No, you're not a good public speaker now. But Michael's able to fashion a skill set into you what you already are. He's not going to make you someone different. Um, he'll make you a better version of you, uh, a more engaged person. One of the most fun parts of, I think, the, the master class, um, even, even when you did the, the one hour thing with me and several other people at the, at the conference or workshop, I'm not sure what you're calling it now, um, which you guys all should go. I'll put a link in, in the show notes to it, but was watching people evolve. People that you thought, well, you know what, he's, he's, he's a nice, quiet guy. I think he's be great you know who I think of right off the top is Rick. Yeah. So Rick, Rick, and I, I should have him on too. He's an attorney, one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. Um, and you're like, well, you know, you kind of have to have this forceful presence from the stage, which Rick's a big guy. So he, he was, he was, but what you did is you were able to craft around this nice guy persona and you made him nicer and more relatable in the areas that he needed to talk about that yeah. and to watch him evolve over the course of the, the time that we spent together 
and to see the quality of what and – and the message really didn't change. Most of the messages didn't change that much mm-hmm. Yeah, the mes- um, from the beginning. The messages- That's very interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, thank you for mentioning that. Jordan Harbinger, who was in your um, grad, you know, grad school class and your master master class group, uh, he is the host of Art of Charm, which is one of the biggest podcasts. It's huge. It's, yeah. if you, first of all, if anyone hasn't listened to it, it's one of the best. It's, it's a it's a master class on podcasting. Oh, it's fantastic. He gets it's about fantastic. three million downloads a month. It's insane. Yeah. It's incredible. So, and you think because he's a good interviewer, right? And he's so good at that, right? He's naturally a speaker. Yeah, and he and he said he doesn't know what to do when he was on his feet. He's like, I'm great behind a microphone, but I don't know what to do on my feet in front of people. So he came to the event, and and I didn't know him at that point. And he said the first time that he saw me coach somebody on stage, he said, "It's BS. It's made up. It's fake. It's it's not real. They planned that." He said, "I can't believe it. I just flew all the way to Florida." And, you know, I spent all this money and it's fake. It's just, it's staged. And then we did another one. And he said, how much time did it take for them to stage all these? Because there's no way that somebody could be that average and then get that good in an hour. It's not yes. possible. It's, and then he saw us do it again and again and again. He goes, oh, wow, <laughs> this is real. This is not staged. He turned the corner when he saw me. <laughs> Well, this guy's kind of a jerk, and now I like him, and it all happened in an hour. That was amazing. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting because it's it's not really magic. It's just that people aren't used to doing that kind of work. So, yeah. you know, as an actor, when you work with directors, your job is to transform. That's what you do, and every day you'll you know you'll perform a little bit better than the day before as you make stronger choices and. And, uh, you know, and um, and sort of discover that character. And when you are a non-actor and you're trying to perform better, whether it's in sales uh, pitches or interviews or, you know, on on the stage in front of an audience, you know, your job is the same thing. Your job is to continue to discover who you are in relation to that audience or the other people so that you can perform in the most honest and open way possible. So what we're doing is we're looking for each person's individuality. Sometimes people ask, what's your style of speaking? Like, you know, what's, what's the style? And, uh, I like, I think about it the way Bruce Lee, you know, thought about his, his martial art. He said, my style is no style. So I don't ever want someone to look at one of our students and say, Oh, that's a Michael Port or Amy Port student. That's a heroic Yeah, because, because he's doing the same three things that other guy did. Exactly. It doesn't right. work that way because yeah. it is an art and it's based on an individual's yeah. way of being. So, you know, I, I could never take you and turn you into a quiet, soft-spoken very super empathetic, you know, kind of, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So what we want to do is we want to amplify the compelling parts of your uniqueness and also make sure that we're not unnecessarily amplifying the parts that get in your way. Right. And And I think that's a key. So you said it very (laughs) diplomatically, unnecessarily amplifying. (laughs) I was thinking as you were saying that is, you know, there's certain things. I've, I have a strong personality, and it's not that I choose to be this person. It's just who I am, and yeah. so I have to be cognizant. 
And especially when you're on a stage, there's a tendency to want to amplify because you're on stage and certain things you shouldn't. You're already loud. You're already a big, bold speaker, so you need to tone that down. Yeah. And one of the things that you did is you you made me increase my gestures, especially on a bigger stage where you had to fill it, um, but tone down how I talked. Mm-hmm. It was it. The whole thing is is it's a it's a very interesting experience, well, see, and I it's because, just very interesting. Yeah, because sometimes the things that uh, are you know we're very we're naturally strong in don't necessarily translate well in performance. I know mm-hmm. it seems it seems uh, uh, seems a little counterintuitive. Yeah, seems, but it is. but for example, like you know since since the audience knows you, you're a great example uh, for them because yeah, and so you have full carte blanche to pick on me great excellent thank you for that <laughs> and, and by the way michael probably knows me because you're so good at reading people he knows knows me better than anybody because he's so good at getting me yeah well you know you're you're i get i got you right from the beginning and yeah, i'm not a hard read no you're not not a hard read I, although i think people misunderstand you yeah. um often uh, especially if they are not very confident or secure in themselves. I think you could make them uncomfortable because when you came out on stage at first, because you brought such a big energy and such a big personality and such, um, uh, emphatic, uh, you know, belief in your point of view, it could potentially provoke people in a way that might shut them down. Now, part of our job as, a, as speakers and performers is to provoke people, but in a good way, in a way that gets them closer to what you want and what they want. So what we needed to do, instead of amplifying you right at the beginning, is to simplify you and allow you to be more direct and honest. And because, you know, you have a softer side too. You know, you're not just a big personality. You ha- you're obviously have close friends. You care about people. Uh, I have three daughters. If I didn't have a softer side. (laughs) Yeah, you have three daughters. Exactly. Yeah, you work that into your life. You have to. You have to. So what we did is we were able to find a way to bring that out more so you make an earlier connection with the audience before they get into, you know, before you get into what you have to teach them. Because if you come out right strong with that, you know, here's do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. You know, they're like, well, I don't even know if... I like you and right, you know, so, so for, for the audience. So I kind of came out with the, I'm right. And now I'm going to prove it. Yes. And, and that is, so what Michael made me do is dude, let's just say you are right. That's not the way you do it. You don't, <laughs> you don't come out. You don't, you don't lead with that. You basically build to, yeah. you almost want to build to the idea that people, you don't have to say it, that they're, they're saying at the end, like this guy's right. That's right. Instead of me coming out, in defending it, I need yes. to start, you know, saying I'm right in defending my position. I need to build to the point where they come to that conclusion on their own. It's right because you know people who, people who f- are very comfortable with their position, they they tend not to need to push it that strong. And what they'll do is they'll offer you the way they see the world, and then allow you to choose if you want to see the world in the same way. And that's what we were able to do with you. We were able to have you come out and raise some questions for them so that they were part of the conversation. Even if they didn't say a word, they're just sitting in their seats. They become now part of it and you get them thinking about it 
rather than telling them what to do. And and then you get an engagement that's really powerful. It's sort of like, you know, let's say my wife and I are having a conversation and she comes to me with an issue of some kind she's trying to solve. I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you should do. Do this. She's like, mm, I don't know. That's, uh, no, I don't think so. Three days later, she comes back and goes, oh, Michael, remember the thing we were talking about uh, a couple of days ago? I, I figured it out. Here's what I'm going to do. I say, but wait, that's exactly what I said three days ago. She goes, no, you didn't. Because often we want to come to the conclusion ourselves, So we look to teachers to help lay the groundwork for us or, or, you know, um, or sort of carve out a path. But we want to walk down that path. And especially when, you know, you work in financial services and you're encouraging people to do things that they haven't done before, think about things that they haven't really thought about before, or they have, but they haven't been able to understand, etc. They got to come, they got to go with you. They got to be there, you know, hand in hand uh, with you. Uh, they need to trust you before they care if you're smart. So I'm not going to hire somebody because they're smart if I don't trust them. And I want to know first that I'm comfortable with who they are and and then I'll start considering whether or not uh, it's important to me, um, uh, it, whether or not what they have to offer is important to me. And, you know, when we've heard people teach sales, they, of course, they always say, you know, people buy from those they, you know, know, like, and trust. And it makes perfect sense to me. Um, but you notice how in that, in that particular saying, there's nothing about smart. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Right. Because I mean, I don't, it's almost like smart as table stakes. No yeah. one even seems to ask that. They're, we, I assume that you're smart. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't have gotten into this field, whatever that field is. Yeah. Um, well, hope, hope so. I mean, yeah, you only, yeah, hope so. But I, I, it, think, you, I think what you're right is that it's, it's uh, table stakes. I like that expression. I've never heard that before. I mean, I know the expression from, um, from cards, but I never heard it used in this way. I really like that. It's, yeah. it's, what's, it's the bar. You know, it's, here's what is... is uh, now, I don't assume everybody's smart just because they're in an industry, necessarily, but uh, all I need is a few things from somebody that make a lot of sense. And I go, okay, they seem bright. Great. Okay, fine. Now let's look to see if, if, uh, if I can trust who they are. And then I'll start listening to the rest. And frankly, of course, you want them to feel comfortable with you before you start trying to give them new ideas because they're running those ideas through the filter of, do I trust him? Do I trust him? Do I trust him? And, and, and that's why I think most people have sales conversations way too quickly, way right. too early uh, because that, you know, that, that trust isn't there yet. And trust comes from stories and emotionally connecting with someone which was interesting about the experience I had with you is that I'm actually pretty good at stories. I'm very good at creating analogies, but I wasn't using any of them, and you forced me to use them um, in stage. Yeah. So, so people know this was probably one of the most uncomfortable situations of my life, most exhilarating, uh, very powerful and I actually paid for it. I paid to be – now, I didn't know I was going to be on stage, but I was on, on a, a stage in an auditorium that had, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred people in it, and which you don't even see. It's like <laughs> – it didn't matter. Life, it could, it could yeah. have been one person. It felt, it felt like there was a thousand. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I actually made a kind of a mental thing that no matter what he told me to do, no matter how uncomfortable or crazy I thought it was, I was going to do it. Um, and I had fortunately the day before learned to trust Michael and realize that he had my back and he was going to do right by me and all he was going to do is try to make me better. So nothing he was going to say or do was going to harm me in any way. So once well, that trust, which I had built yeah. over the day before, I just did everything he said and I felt like I changed. I, you know what I should do is I should post the whole video in case anybody's crazy enough to watch it. But it's a, it's a, Watching yourself go through this, it's I, I mean I, it's like a meta, it's like going from a caterpillar for a butterfly in an hour. It was the most remarkable, exhilarating and scary experience, and I highly encourage. Yeah, I mean you're not going to ask people to get up on stage um, no, like I they, did. Yeah, unless they want to. Well, that, unless they want to. Yeah. That, I was very impressed with you um, that day. I mean, it was fortunate. One of the reasons that you went on the second day is because I specifically chose to have you on the second day rather than the first day. Because when I was evaluating uh, the, those of you who I was going to put on stage, I, I didn't know how you were going to take direction because of your strong personality. I thought he could potentially be someone who doesn't like taking direction and is just going to push back. And if he doesn't take direction, we can't get a transformation and then it won't be effective. So I don't want to put him on the first day. I need uh, him to see other people go through it and know that he's going to be completely safe and that I've got his back and, you know, all my, all my uh, agenda is, is focused on, on him and what he needs. And that's why I put you on the second day and you did everything I asked you to. I mean, it was really, really wonderful. And, and, uh, and then for, you know, months after that working with you and that's to me, the sign of somebody who's in pursuit of mastery. I mean, you know, you're not, going to spend every day working on public speaking. You don't need to. It's not what you do. I mean, it's, I mean, you do it as part of your work, but your work is, you know, is, is focused on something else. But, but because you're in pursuit of mastery as a human being, you take it very seriously. You were willing to be comfortable with the discomfort that came from change. And that to me is, is something to be admired. I think that that's something that we can all learn from. And if we can embrace that willingness to be a little bit uncomfortable because we believe that it will lead to, you know, a positive outcome or some growth. That's pretty cool. You know? Yeah. And I, I think that's a, that's a really good lesson for everybody is, is look for things that make you a little uncomfortable. Don't go for, you know, jumping out of a plane, maybe, you know, jump off a diving board first if you're, <laughs> you're afraid of jumping yeah. and then work your way up. But start with something that's, a, and I was already comfortable speaking in lar- in front of large groups. Um, I've never been critiqued and disemboweled <laughs> <laughs> in front of a large group, but I was comfortable yeah. with, you know, I don't know anybody. I literally knew no one there. So, you know, if I'm going to do this, this is a, this is a place then, to do it. And then, and I ended up making great friends. Right, and yes, well, that's, and this and this actually leads us back to the beginning of being vulnerable. Yeah. Because I was vulnerable, pe- people loved me all the more for it. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly your point is so important that the fact that you were willing to take risks up there that you were willing to be open up there, that you didn't need to be the one with all the answers, 
that's why people liked you so much. Right. So it's the opposite of the what, exact opposite. Yes. It's the opposite of what most people think is going to get them liked. Yes. If I just bludgeon them over the head, eventually they'll come to my point of view. <laughs> that's the way they'll like me. No. Right. Yeah. It's the vulnerability. It's yeah. the so well, it, it's a very so I, I think we're kind of I don't want to beat it over the head, but the idea is is that what Michael has done and Amy it is funny. Amy ran up to me and this is really the first time I really got to meet her. She grabbed me by the shoulders and said, "That was so fantastic." We took a big risk on you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Amy's my wife for those who uh, yes, yes, and my she, business partner. And she's the same way. She's just this super sweet. She's got a master's degree in acting too, and she's she's got the same skill sets that you have. Yeah. Um, where it comes to being able to read you, understanding where you're trying to go, and helping you. Um, they're a very very powerful team. There's really nothing like them. Um, I, I, I wanted to start with the book Yourself Solid because I wanted people to understand the, this, this scientific ability to take something like market create science and then you flipped it and then you, you're going down this, this whole path with the, with the heroic public speaking. And I highly, highly encourage people that are listening to at least go to the, the, the workshop. The two, is that coming up or has that already happened? No, no, at the end of this month, actually. It, well, I don't know when they're, they're going to be listening to this. But All right, so what I'll do is I'll accelerate this so that they hear this before. Yeah, so um, October 31st, November 1st and 2nd uh, of 2016, uh, we'll be in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. If you want more information, go to heroicpublicspeaking.com forward slash live, L-I-V-E, heroicpublicspeaking.com forward slash live, L-I-V-E. You know, I wanted to mention one thing to wrap up uh, this particular part of the conversation is that what makes us appealing is when we're willing to take the layers of persona that we've wrapped ourselves up in off. This, we, you know, we, we, we wrap ourselves up in these layers of persona to protect ourselves right know, like okay i'm really smart i know this a lot i really know a lot of this i'm going to really surround my whole sort of being with how much i know uh, that's one thing we can do sometimes we wrap ourselves up or wrap, wrap our sort of our being up with well i'm physically tougher you know sometimes uh, it's something else but but those those seemingly powerful attributes can often be the thing that keeps us from making connections with people. It can, they can actually reduce our likability if we are leading with them in such a way that they actually create a wall between us and the people with whom we want to connect. So, you know, authenticity is a word that's thrown around a lot. Uh, and it's, it's ironic because you know, if I'm teaching performance, people say, well, isn't performing fake? I mean, isn't that the whole point? You're just pretending to be something that you're not. And yeah, in acting, of course, but we're not teaching acting and we're not addressing acting at all. We're, we're talking about performance in all aspects of life. And performance is not about fake behavior. Performance, from the way I see it, is about authentic behavior in a manufactured environment. And many that's, this, a, that's a key. I want you to repeat that. Sure. Uh, performance is not about fake behavior. Performance is authentic behavior in a manufactured environment. And when you're giving a sales pitch or in a, 
negotiation or giving a speech in front of a group of people, those are very manufactured situations. They're not everyday situations. They're not pedestrian situations. They're manufactured. They're made up. So we need to choose a role to play in those situations and identify the choices we want to make to influence the other people in those situations and then choose tactics that hopefully will allow us to achieve our goal. And see, this is very interesting. If you do any studying of acting, and I I like to – um, there's this great show, and I'm trying to remember the name off the top of my head. It's on the new AXS channel where the guy interviews behind the camera. I don't know if you've seen this show. I haven't really, seen it. No, it's no. really good. Basically, he interviews actors for an hour. There's no commercials. It's black and white. They're sitting down in chairs, and they're just chatting. And I hear this theme over and over again where the actor is trying desperately. They're not trying to fake who they're trying to play. They're trying to be the most authentic person that they're trying to play. Yeah. So if they're trying to play, you know, a hooker with a heart of gold, they're trying to say, well, what would a hooker at a heart with a heart of gold do in this situation with this person saying this thing? Mm-hmm. What would they really do? Mm-hmm. And that's why they have to create the backstory, even in a scene that may, from a filming standpoint, may only take a couple of minutes. Sure. So there's this authenticity that's infused into this fake situation that well, they're acting in, but they're not. It's it's. It, well, yeah, exactly. You've got no. You've got it. You've got it. We mentioned before that you know the best actors in the world are the most authentic actors. They're the most honest actors. So, for example, when Tom Hanks is playing a character, let's say he's playing Captain Phillips. Well, he doesn't think he's Captain Phillips. He doesn't actually think he's Captain Phillips that he can uh, that he could captain uh, a vessel of that size and he doesn't think that he actually went through uh, the situation that the character went through. But when he's playing that character, when they're shooting the scenes, what he is feeling, the character that he's playing, what the character is feeling is what Tom Hanks is feeling. And the reason that you resonate with an actor like Tom Hanks is because he's bringing his true feelings, his emotions to that particular situation. And because you're seeing it through the lens of this man named Captain Phillips, you, you get really connected to Captain Phillips. And the same thing is true in regular everyday life. The difference is you're bringing your feelings. You're not pretending to be somebody else. You're bringing your honesty to the situations that you're in. And people really, really like that. They really, really do. Now, we're not talking about the kind of honesty that's like, what the heck do you do with your hair? Because I got to tell you, that's not looking very good. You know, that's not the kind of honesty we're talking about. Which is a good place to kind of wrap things up because Michael sent me something that I – there's very few things I laugh hysterically at. And this was so funny because this is because Michael gets me. He sends me this this, this poster. I don't know. Was it a, a T-shirt or something? It says – I have it in my office now. You know that little thing inside your head that keeps you from saying things you shouldn't? Yeah, I don't have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> when I read it, I was like, I laughed so hard. My, I, I gave it to my wife, and she's like, "Yes, 
Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite a Tourette syndrome, syndrome, but I, I, and I do have some social capabilities, but for some reason I'll be willing to say things that other people don't say. Well, but let me, let me just address that. I know I have to wrap up, but I, I do because again, there's positive, you know, aspects it, to it. It can go, it swings and, both ways. Yeah, yeah. So really there isn't only one way of being, there's only one way of looking at these things. You know, we were, we were actually out at my Marina, um, with a bunch of other people. And one of the guys was saying that he, he, he has, he has a three-year plan for building a $300 billion business. And so I said, Oh, well, what kind of revenues are do are you doing now? He's like, well, I'm doing like about a hundred and something thousand. <laughs> Is this the same guy I'm thinking about? Yeah, it's the same no, guy. No. Yeah, so, so I, you know, I of course wanted to be respectful and I said, okay, so cause I'm trying to get to like, all right, so what's going on here? Like how, what, was does he not understand the numbers or, you know, what's the deal? And uh, so I asked him a couple of questions about it. I said, exactly, how do you think you're going to do that? Like, what's the strategic plan to make that happen? He's like, well, I got, I just have an idea. My idea is so big. I, it's just, I can't even talk about it. It's just so good. And you, and you just said to him, said, can I curse? You know, I allowed to do that? Yeah, go ahead. You're like, it. that's bullshit. You, you're not going to do that. It's just not happening. You're absolutely full of shit. <laughs> and, the, and the guy's like, he didn't know what to do. And you're yes. and like, listen, well, tell us what your strategic plan is because uh, if it makes sense, then I'll take, I'll eat my words. But, right. but nobody else was willing to say anything, but you were like, you know, then the guy, of course. thinking it too, because you, can't, you, know, you don't go from 100 to 300 billion. It's just, it was it, insane. No, it was, it was, that was insane. I mean, I've heard some stretches, you know, but that was, that was pretty incredible. So, um, you know, that was one of those situations where nobody else wanted to say anything, but you did. And of course he hated you for the rest of the trip. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I kept telling him, dude, if you work it backwards, I do this, yeah. I get this, I'm, I will track with you all the way. Yeah. But he couldn't do that. Yeah, so and, he you, just, and in that particular situation, I, you know, you weren't being mean or anything. You were just like, I don't understand. What are you talking about? And this was about? two days in, so these guys kind of had an idea of who I was. So oh, yeah. it was I wasn't blindsiding with my <laughs> my lack of feeling, but um, and it was supposed to be you know kind of a coaching situation. Where it you, was, and I think you know, frankly, when when you when you are someone who is willing uh, to share that kind of uh, feedback, it can be helpful to somebody. I mean, maybe he could have you could have had the realization like, wow, I am kind of delusional. I don't know what the heck I'm thinking, you know. And, yeah, scale uh, it back to one billion. Yeah, <laughs> hundred and sixty thousand to one billion <laughs> one in three billion years. Will be no problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so in so any event, I like to. I always like to end with a little bit of something fun. Yeah. Um. And this, I could talk to you for hours. I mean, we we're we're terrible. I mean, you put us in a room and, and we won't get anything done. Um. But we'll have a lot of fun. But how do we? I like to wrap up with: Is there any app application that you're using on your phone or technology that you think that has changed your life or has helped you be a better tool? Well. There's a number of different things that we use for business that have been very effective. One of them is a is a program called Glip, G L I P. Are you familiar with it? I am. Yeah. So that's a it's a great communication tool. Uh, we do no longer use email uh, to communicate with each other, and uh, that's that's been very very effective for us. And it has an app you know you can use on the phone. I don't use I don't use the phone for it uh, too often, but but nonetheless that that is a is a great one. Uh, we also use a, a program called Way We Do, WayWeDo.com, and it is a it's an online uh, environment to manage all your standard operating procedures. 
So you create oh, all, yeah. Nice. I'm I'm super into systematization and just trying to make life easier. Not well, we can tell that from the book you write. That right, exactly. You know, yeah. I, I just I don't want I don't like a lot of like um, excess. You know, no uh, variables. Yeah, right. So, you know, this way everything's captured. So everybody who works in the organization, uh, they're responsible for documenting everything they do in, in an SOP in such a way that everybody can understand it um, and knows what to do if, uh, you know, if uh, they needed to step in at any moment. And that's a requirement uh, of working here. You, you have to do that. Everybody has to do that. So those are two things that we use. Those are great. So those are those are those are two I haven't. I actually use this selfishly as my kind of my own personalized technology clipping service. Smart <laughs> to get ideas from what other people are using out in the marketplace. Because there's right now we're deluged with so much great stuff um, that it's hard to know which one to pick and and yeah. lock onto and, and become great at. So yeah, you know, and and with we've look, I've been in business uh, you know for 14 years now, and so I've tried a lot of different things over the years and. A lot of them are similar. It's just what you stick with. If you're, right. You know, if and, you're willing to stick you, with one. It's like a TV show. You want to stick with something that's going to be around. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of hard, too. So, yeah, that's right. Well, Michael, thank you very, very much for being on. Um, I consider you a great friend. You're one of our uh, advisory board members. And um, I know that if I ask you, you will get back to me eventually because you're a busy dude. And um, I greatly appreciate it, and I, I thank you for having being on the show today. It's my pleasure. You're a good man. <laughs>